Hello, my name is David Coletta, and I'm the senior leader at Mission Community Church. Before you begin watching the Sermon of the Week, allow me to pray that you might encounter God right there where you are. Father, I ask that your spirit will be present right where people are watching this video. May they be receptive to the voice of your spirit as they watch in Jesus' name, amen. From all of us at MCC, may God bless you as you watch this week's message. Last week, we started a series about the signs of the end of the age. Um, and uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about what that meant because we're going through scenarios and things in our, in our world today that point very, very clearly to that. So why speak about the signs of the age? I send you, I, I, I gave to you three reasons, and I want to repeat them real quickly. Number one, because it's biblical. It's in the Bible. And you know what? Sometimes we choose, and, and, and we have a great responsibility when you're standing behind this pulpit and you have a call of God to speak the word of the Lord, that sometimes we pick and choose what we want, right? Especially the messages that give us the feel-good kind of sense. Oh, yeah, it's great. Oh, yeah, I got, I got, God's got great things for me. That's fantastic. But you know what? The, the fact of the matter is that there's other things in the Bible. And this book, cover to cover, is what the Bible says that we should be preaching, the whole counsel of God. Amen. It's also important to walk for our walk with God. Why is it important for our walk with God that we know about the, the signs of the end of the age? Well, for two reasons. Number one, because it should propel us to purify ourselves, to live holy lives. In sight of the fact that Jesus is coming back, we need to be careful, circum, uh, uh, circumspect, I think is a, the Bible uses that word, to live very carefully how we walk, how we talk, how we do what we do, because he is watching, he's hearing. And I give you a reference in 1 John 3, 2 and 3, if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, then go back to last week's on, uh, message on YouTube, and it'll bless your heart. And also, the other reason is that it should comfort us. Jesus said that <clears throat> in this life, we're going to only live here for a temporary time, right? And then he said, I'm going to leave you, and I'm going to go prepare a place for you, so that where I am, you will, there, you will be with me there also. In my father's room, there are many rooms. If, not, if it were not so, I would have told you. There's a place called heaven. There is a hope in Jesus that this life is only temporary. But then one day, we're going to get to another place. It's also the number three reason is that, and I'm motivated by this. It's an unpopular topic. It's a topic that because probably of the complexity of the variety of interpretation. I was talking with a brother this morning, and we were talking about all of the different eschatological interpretations that it's like, it can really mess with your brain. And it's like, what do I believe? What, do I believe in pre-tribulationism? Do I believe in mid? Do I, do I believe in, in the rapture? I mean, is there a, a millennial kingdom of God? It, what, what does this all mean? It's so unclear, right? And I'm not going to stand here and tell you what I believe. I'm going to tell you what the Word of God believes, which is why I'm motivated by this. It's, not, it, it, it's unpopular to give you expository rather than a personal belief system or into what I believe, right? And so I want to stick to the Scriptures. It's important to study the end times, guys. It's important to know what's going to happen in the end. And I give you 
a couple of reasons there. Number one, because it's kind of like watching a movie that you've watched before. We have an advantage. If we know what's going to happen and we do need to be aware, at least we will know how to live. That's why having a sense in which we need to be careful how we live and to walk in purity before God is so important. And also, we can trust God's character. And we can trust in His sovereignty because, you know what? He did say that He would return. And everything else that He said in His Word has actually come to pass. And so it is important to know that there is a sense in which we can trust the character of God and the sovereignty of God. That in the midst of what life feels like chaotic and meaningless sometimes, it can lead to hopelessness and it can lead to despair. But we have a hope in Jesus that one day all of this will be done. And then we're going to spend eternity. Guys, this life is smaller than a speck of dust compared to eternity. We have no concept of what eternity is and what it looks like because we have not even begun to understand it. And hopefully in God we can try to get a sense. But let me start with this this morning. In Revelations chapter 22 and verse 20, we're going to put it up on the screen. It says these words. Look at this. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, the words, come, Lord Jesus, are a small sentence translated from an Aramaic word that uh, the believers in the New Testament actually used to encourage each other in view of the coming of Jesus. They would say to each other, and you probably have heard this word, Maranatha. That word, come Lord Jesus, is translated in the original as just one word, Maranatha. Now, this Aramaic word, Maranatha, is the only place in the New Testament where Paul uses an Aramaic sentence. Everything else is translated in the Greek. Now, why is that? Now, the Jews, this is very, very, very important. Follow me for a second. The Jews use the word mar or maran, which means our Lord, right? And a Bible commentator says that Paul used what he calls heart language. And I love this. He used heart language saying that the use of mar in connection with Jesus was a cry from an Aramaic Jewish perspective, a cry from the heart. Now, you say, why is this all that important? In the New Testament, we know that believers went through discouraging times, like some of you guys that have stood up and asked for prayer. Discouragement was a common factor because of the persecution that they had, and because of all the false prophets and the false messiahs that will come out. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But in light of the imminent return of Jesus, because they were dealing with all of this, they would just see each other and they would worship together. And then at the end they would say, hey, you know, like we say, bless you, God bless you, see you next week. They would say, Maranatha. Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus, because they had a hope that in the midst of all the trouble and the tribulation and everything that they were going through, their eyes were fixed on Him. They were fixed on Jesus. Maran, our Lord, come, Lord Jesus. Now here's a question that we all have to answer. 
Do we long for Jesus' return? Or are we so settled in our lives, are so settled in our comforts, in love with the things of the world, the things, the, the pleasures of life, and all the things that we have, are we so in love with these that, you know what, it doesn't really matter if he is coming back or not? It doesn't. Now, I'm not advocating for a moment this escapist mindset where, you know what, this life is too hard. Jesus, take me home. I'm out of here. Right? I'd rather not put up with all this stuff. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about something greater. I'm talking about eternity. Listen to Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Verse, sorry, chapter 4 and verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, what it says. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, with the Lord, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have what? Longed for his appearing. Longed for his appearing. Oh, we all want the crown of glory. But are we living with the sights set on eternity, or are we just doing business as usual every day. We just live our lives. We, you know, go to work, have dinner, watch some TV, go to bed, and you're done. There's something greater. The word long here is a very important word. It actually comes from the word love. The, the, the actual root is the word agapekosi, which is derived from the word agape, which we all know is the word love. Right? And so what Paul is saying here is, do you take pleasure? Do you love to a point of pleasure the fact that Jesus is coming back? We have to answer that question. You have to answer that question. Now, in our text, Matthew 24, verses 1 to 3, I'm going to read that again for all of us to, to see. It says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him and to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one of these stones will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The passage in the Mount of Olivet, Olives is part of a what, what scholars call the Olivet Discourse, which is basically Matthew chapter 24, 25, in the text that we're going to be looking at. Today we're going to finish Matthew 24, and then next week we're going to get into a little brief uh, section of Matthew 25. But in this chapter, this, Jesus was asked two questions. When will this happen? And what will be the signs of the end of the age? And I mentioned to you last week that when will this happen was answered in exactly 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. He was, they were bringing attention to 
the buildings, right? The buildings, the temple, the temple that had been constructed and expanded by Herod, that temple was what they were amazed at. And then, so they started asking him, when will all of this take place? Well, 70 AD, that temple was completely destroyed. And in fact, there was not a stone left or another because of what I explained to you last week. If you were not here, you need to go watch it. Uh, if you were here, then you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I don't have time to get into all the details, so I apologize. Regarding the second uh, question that the disciples asked Jesus, he started going uh, through a series of signs that he would, uh, uh, that Jesus basically said would take place at the end of the age. So last week we talked about deception and <clears throat> deception that is affecting all areas of our culture even as we looked at not just in the religious realm but even culturally self-deception is also very real and that's why we have to be very mindful that the devil is in the midst of of this world sowing discord and sowing deception and self-deception lies and and we have to like be mindful of all this guys we can't just close our eyes and think that life is exactly what we see and it's okay to experience what we're experiencing. There's a lot that is going on. And the enemy is masterful with deception and lies. I mentioned to you that as it was in the times of Judges, so will it be at the end of the age because everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. And Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars in verses 6 and 7. It's hard to deal with conflicts. It's hard to deal even with what's going on in our world today in the Ukraine and Russia. But you know what? Jesus said, don't be alarmed. And I explained to you that that word is actually, it actually means don't be agitated. Don't be disturbed. In other words, don't freak out because it's normal. These things are going to happen. So the sooner we embrace what's happening in our world today, and it's not to accept what's happening, but embracing it as a sign of the end of the age, then we'll be in a better place. And then finally, Jesus said there will be famines and pestilences and, and earthquakes. In our verses today, we're going to start with the next, sets, the next set of signs that Jesus gave. And the first one that he gave was in verse 9 where he said this. And it's coming up. There you go. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. Okay, well, uh, see you next week. <laughs> now, scholars correlate. Now, I'm, look, I'm going to try my best not to get into nitty-gritty. But I'll do my best. I can't promise. But scholars correlate this time and this period, starting with Matthew 24 and verse 9, to a time that's called a tribulation time. Daniel refers to it as the final seven years or week. Daniel calls it a week, which corresponds to years. So seven weeks actually is seven years. Okay, There was a total of 490 years from the time of the prophecy to the time of the second coming of, of Christ at that point, okay? Now, hear me out. I'm, I'm going to try to skip through all of the details because it's just a lot, okay? Now, there's 70 week found in Daniel chapter 9. Now, Jeremiah 30 also calls this, and you might have seen or heard it as Jacob's trial, okay? Now, let me state this, and maybe this will come as a revelation to you, but this book 
we call the Bible, was not written for just Americans. Can I hear an amen? Amen. How many of you know that it was not written for Americans? Primarily, probably not for Americans. Now, why in the world are you saying that, David? Because you know what? Believers around the world have been experiencing persecution, hatred, and have been put to death for centuries. And so we kind of look at that scripture and we say, oh, that doesn't refer to me, especially those who believe in a rapture and an imminent return. It's like, oh, that ain't me. I'm going to be out of here. But what about them in those countries? I'll just leave it there. You see, the intensity of these end time signs will increase. I believe that. And persecution and hatred and death will intensify as time goes on. So what's the application for all of us? Because, like, what do you take home from all this, right? Do we just see that, oh, okay, there's going to be death and persecution and tribulations like we've never seen before and hatred, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. What do I take home with me? Well, first of all, is that we have to be strong. God is calling us to be strong and resolute in our faith. We have to be ready for whatever may come. I don't have the answers, guys. I wish I could tell you, oh, you know what? Jesus is coming back. There's going to be a rapture. It's going to be next week. Glory will be out. We're not, we won't have to deal with all of this stuff. I don't know. I don't know. Now, there may be some people, that there are some of us, perhaps, that believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church where you'll be taken up to heaven, and that's wonderful. I, I'm a believer. I'll be there. And then some believe in a mid-tribulation period rapture, which means that the rapture will take place exactly three and a half years into a period of tribulation of seven years. So after three and a half years, here we go. I'll be there. I will be there, I promise you. And if that doesn't happen and there's a post-tribulation period and there's a rapture, it's actually not called a rapture, but it's the second coming of Christ. You know what? I'll be there too. And if you love Jesus, you'll be there. So it doesn't really matter. But what matters is that we become strong and resolute in our faith. Following Jesus, no matter what the cost, to love God with passion and with desire and to be led by a law of love and not by anything else and to be strong in our faith. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. Romans 8 and verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or what? You know what? How many times have you read that? Have you ever asked yourself that you would actually, could actually go through persecution? Every time I have read this passage, I've always eliminated the word persecution out of my mind. Well, trouble and hardship, I think we all go through those, right? Or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. I don't want to do that, God. I don't want to go through those things. But could there be a chance? And so what is our response? To be anchored in the love of Christ. 
in verses 10 and 12 of our text, and then verses 22 and 26, it's the second portion, the second section, where Jesus talks about the other uh, signs. And so Jesus said there will be a falling away, there will be deception and wickedness. Let's read it together. And at this time, and at that time, sorry, many will turn away from their faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, this is very important part, part, this very, very important part right here. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And now let's look at verses 22 and 26 to 26. Verses 22 to 26. In those days, had not been, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. And at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elects. Now, Turning away from the faith, betrayal, hate, deceptions. These are very concerning signs. Wouldn't you say? If you're a believer, does that concern you at all? Does that put a, a fear, maybe a little shiver in your body? It's like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get into that. Now, if you believe, again, like I said before, in a pre-tribulation period, then, you know, God bless you. You won't be here. And you can comfort yourself with that. That's wonderful. And I, I, I believe with you. Now, if you believe that there's other ways that you're going to escape the coming judgment, that's great. I believe with you. There's, you know what? Here's the thing, guys. There are scriptural references for every single individual position from an eschatology standpoint, the, the end times. Every single one that you talk to that believes their position will give you verses for each one of them. So, you know what? I don't really care about what's going to happen. I don't care if there's going to be a rapture or not. I don't care. You know what I care? That my eternity is secure in Christ. Now, if you want me to take you through each view, and, you know, we can do that. It will probably drive you absolutely bonkers. And then we'll have to call John to help us out because he's the only scholar that I know in this room. <clears throat> but, you know what? Uh, it, it, there's a lot. There's... Guys, there's so much, and I encourage you to study and read for yourself, but be careful what you study and read, because there's a lot of stuff out there that can create more problems. If you want some writing and some good stuff, I, I can refer some of those to you as well. Now, <clears throat> regardless of your position, we need to be aware, number one, that Satan has schemes and purposes. His goal is what? John 10, 10, to steal, kill, and destroy, right? We know that from the Bible. And his goal is also to cause our faith to become meaningless, to lose faith in God. Like, does God really exist? Does God really heal? Does God really perform miracles? Does God change lives? Does God persuade somebody who is hard and harsh to become a follower of Jesus? Does he? Have you, do you remember this question back in the Garden of Eden? Did God really say? His plans and purposes have not changed. 
He wants to bring discouragement and disillusionment. And so he will start with deception and betrayal and relational falling away with God and people. They will be, Jesus said, pseudo or fake prophets. In fact, that word is just like in the Greek is pseudo-pharisai, which is, uh, or pseudo-prophetai, which means fake prophets. It's pseudo-prophets. We use that word, right? Pseudo-prophets. And you know what? It, this is so incredible. I think that when, when, I, when I think of this, I, I think of the fact that we need to, to, to do our best to be anchored in the Word of God. We need to know the Scriptures. We need to know what's going on. And we need to be careful who has got our ears and to whom we're paying attention. Be very careful. You say, why is that? You know, I was talking to a brother who um, pastored a house church for 35 years. And he was, give me an example. He says, you know, I said, I had a couple one day that came up to me and, and, uh, and said, you know what, we're going to leave the church. And then they proceeded to say, well, we're leaving the church because we've been listening to so-and-so. I'm not going to mention any names. And this particular prophet, preacher, very popular on TV today, that said X, Y, and Z. And, you know, what do you want to do? What can you say to somebody that is persuaded and convinced that that's the way it should be? We just let people go. But, you know, it, it, the conversation that we were having, that him and I were having, is that it's so simple to be persuaded by what is going on in our world today because we're oversaturated with books and you turn on YouTube and you just put in end times and you will be bombarded, <laughs> bombarded with absolute different views of everything and it's like, oh my gosh, what do I do? But you know what? We have to know what we believe in. Jesus in verse 12, and we read it, he said that because of the increase in wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. Now, I want to bring attention to that word wickedness because wickedness is actually better translated as lawlessness. 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 Or if you break that word into Greek, it actually breaks down to this. Illegality or a violation of the law. Where are we seeing that? Where are we seeing that today? Anybody? Yeah, every day, everywhere. Violation of the law is evident like never before. Things that we never thought possible would actually, actually becoming a reality in our day. Like, who has ever heard of defund the police? Seriously. Oh, you know what? Let's allow lawlessness and wickedness to take place and let's just live like animals. Or you do what you like, I do what I like. Oh, you know what? I, today I just feel like going and getting my groceries in the grocery store without paying. I just, you know. It's a violation of the law. It's a violation of anything that is legal. It's called lawlessness. Lawlessness. How about abortion? Over 60 million babies aborted in our country. And we, a lot of people think that that is okay. That is not okay. I don't make that clear. It is not 
okay. Abortion is not okay. And the law that they're trying to pass in, help me out, was it uh, Maryland, thank you, in Maryland is an absolute, I, I cannot even describe it. To say that it's okay to actually kill a baby that has been born 28 days after its birth. It's absolutely horrendous. It's horrendous. It's happening in this country, guys. It's happening right here in America. 28 days after birth. That's called murder. And it was called murder even when it was done, maybe in the womb. We have to be aware. This is the fulfillment of prophecy, guys. It is increasingly getting worse and worse and worse. And, and it will grow worse as more icy cold showers of hate and discord are poured over our society. The hate is unnecessary. We, all of us, we are the family of God. I love you no matter what you look like, what language you speak. It doesn't matter to me. I love you because you're my brother and my sister. And you have a place right here in the body of Christ. There's fulfillment of prophecy. And the works of darkness are, are taking a stand for unrighteousness. And we as a church need to start taking a stand for righteousness. For righteousness. Now, I want to say this. There is place for everything. Uh, we can march. We can protest. I believe that sometimes that is needed and required. But what we are called to do, first and foremost as a church, is to get on our knees. Because this church on its knees will not stumble when these trials of life will come. They will shake our faith. We need to be a church on our knees. Now, we can talk. Guys, can I? I, I wish I had three hours today, because I would just like break it all down. But I, I just want to say this. Allow me. I'm going to take a little bit more time today. Is that okay? We can talk revival till we're blue in the face. We can talk all kinds of great things that we want to see. And you know what? We are going to see absolutely deadly squat until we get together and get on our knees and begin to ask God for mercy. And we come in repentance. And that is when revival is going to come. When we acknowledge what's going on in our world. When we take a stand for righteousness. And we are willing to pay the price. Yes. You know, that sometimes means getting up early in the morning and coming to 6.30 prayer. Together as believers. You know what? You might say, well, why do I need to come at 6.30? Look, if you have children and you cannot... Leave your babies at home. I, we understand that. But if you can, I implore you to come and join us. Even once a month, let's get together. Let's believe God for great things because it's not going to happen by wishful thinking. It's going to happen when we are willing to pay the price. Willing to pay the price for what God wants to do. Jesus, have mercy. Jesus said something very powerful at the end of the scripture. He said, false messiahs will arise. They will perform signs and wonders and deceive the elects if it were possible. You know, Jesus said, look, I'm telling you ahead of time so that you know. 
That's a warning from Jesus. But do you remember in Jesus, Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and verse, verses 23? Did I give that to you guys? Did I give that to you guys? Okay. Verses 23. Look at this. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Oh, dear Jesus. I'm a prophet of God. And in your name, drove out demons. And in your name, perform many miracles. You know what this scripture is telling us? That if we put our hope and our faith in signs and wonders and miracles and all this stuff, you know what? Before we do that, we have got to check. <laughs> we have got to check our hearts. Because then he said to them, I tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus in that scripture was separating the sheep from the goats. He talks about it later in Matthew 25. The separation that's going to take place when we get to heaven. Not everybody. Surprise, shockers for some. Not everybody is going to make it into heaven. I hate to tell you, but hell is real. Just like heaven is real. And there are some evildoers, workers of iniquity. Actually, the Bible translates it in other passages. That clearly says that there would be people that are false messiahs. There are false prophets. They are fake. They can still perform the stuff. Because you know what? They perform it by the powers of none others than the enemy, the devil. And you know what? That is why, guys, I was telling you before, let's be careful what we believe in, who we listen to, what we're feeding our spirits with, because there's so much going on out there. I don't have time to stand on that more. Verse 13, Jesus said, stand firm. That's the third sign that he said at the end. Let me just say this, that regardless of your end time theology, we must be strong. We must stand strong. We must be alert. We must stand firm. Our faith will be tested. Our resolve to follow Jesus will be rocked. But let's build on a strong foundation of Jesus so that the sense of human opinions and persuasions will not sustain us. In verse 14, Jesus gave us the fourth sign that that is the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom oh jesus let's look at it together and the gospel of this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come now we know that there are many who have not heard the message of jesus but do you realize and do i realize that that is yours and my responsibility to let them know we have innovation like we've never seen before that will allow for the kingdom message to be spread to the ends of the earth but in the end guys can i just tell you it comes down to your and my individual responsibility to communicate the gospel of jesus to those around us and that means your family your friends and your neighbors I believe that the gospel of the kingdom expands to also not just the words, you believe in Jesus, accept him, and you'll be saved. What do I mean? Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom. What is the sphere of God's kingdom? What is it? Is the sphere of God's kingdom limited to a small portion? Your family? Charlotte, America, North America? No. The sphere of God's kingdom 
extends to the ends of the earth, from one side to the next, from the east to the west, from the north to the south. That is the full extent of the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? It means that the influence of the kingdom and what we are called to do is to preach the gospel and to bring the influence of the king into the sphere of the kingdom. Let me be more clear. That means that it's our responsibility to impact the sphere of the religious system. It is our responsibility to impact the educational system, the political system, the entertainment, the media, and so on, and so on, and so on. Now, we can just shirk back and realize and say, well, you know what? We're just going to let those people do it. But how else will we see policies in our country of America changed unless there are people who are going to bring righteousness into it? We will never see it. We'll think about it. We'll hope that someone will stand for righteousness. But it will not happen until someone that has a distinct calling to go and tell some senators and some congresspeople some truth about what the Bible says in a political sense and political jargon and language that you and I cannot do. That's why not everybody is called to the same thing. You may be called to affect the media. So be it. Be the greatest journalist that you can with God by your side and tell the truth. You can be a tremendous actor and not give in to the, jar, the, 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 the junk that goes on in Hollywood day in and day out. I, look, we've all heard about it. I'm not telling you anything that's new. You can be a fantastic teacher or high school professor or college professor, university professor, and you can impart the truth that is not limited to what is being taught today in the universities and our children and our youth. It's ridiculous. It is all aimed at making sure that Christianity becomes irrelevant. We need to stand. And so my responsibility today is to train you and teach you and speak the Word of God to you. But you know what? Each one of us has a responsibility. I can't come into your neighborhood and talk to your neighbors. They don't know me. They know you. I can't talk to your family members. They don't know me. They know you. That's your responsibility. It's not my responsibility. And whatever else is the sphere of influence that God has called you to, that is your responsibility. Stand up for Jesus. Stand up for Jesus. The next sign that Jesus said is great distress and regret that's going to take place. Look at these verses. Great distress, and there's going to be great regret that's going to take place. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. And I'm going to explain what Jesus meant, by the way, in a minute. And never to be equaled again. Those words are very powerful. And then look at the next couple of verses. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sun, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the people of the earth will mourn 
when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. They will mourn. They will mourn. Why is it that they will mourn? Days of great distress. You know, in Luke chapter 21, it also mentions that the bodies of water, the oceans, will be impacted as well. Everything will be affected in our world. All of God's creation. And then all the people will mourn. Verse 30. Imagine the great frustration and the regret that will fill their hearts. Some of them frustrated because I lived next to David, but why didn't David tell me? I lived next to, put your name in there. Why didn't he or she tell me about Jesus? But there will also be regret because some of them will have received the message. And they will just say, hey, why did I not accept that message? There will be great regret. Great regret. Guys, I can't convince you. I pray the Holy Spirit convicts you that it is your responsibility and my responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus. Why, you might say? Because eternity is at stake. There's so much more to say, guys, about all of the different signs. There are other signs that Jesus talked about, and I'm going to very, very briefly, the, uh, the abomination of desolation as predicted in Daniel. That's something very specific to the Jewish nation when he talks about, you know, one will be taken, the other one left away. Don't pick anything up, just run. The abomination of desolation was actually fulfilled 400 years after Daniel prophesied it in chapter 9 when he said that there would be abomination and desolation and desecration of the temple. And that happened when Antiochus Steph uh, Epiphanes uh, marched into Jerusalem, and he absolutely destroyed the temple. And what he did, which was absolutely unheard of, he sacrificed a pig in the house of God, in the temple. And then he took the juices that were cooked from that pig and splattered them all over the temple. And then erected the statue of Zeus and ordered all the Jews to worship Zeus rather than the living God. That was the initial desecration. Of the temple, the abomination of desolation is prophesied by Daniel 400 years after, during the times of the Maccabees. But you know what? That's going to happen again. Why did Jesus say it? Because it's going to happen again. Now, I think that if you know a little bit about history, in 1967, uh, Israel became a nation again. And they reconquered that, that place where it's believed that one day the temple will be rebuilt. That is where the Dome of the Rock stands right now. But you know what? A lot of scholars, and, and I believe that too, believe that that temple will be rebuilt one day. But it was going to be redesecrated by the, the Antichrist. And you know what? The Antichrist is going to have his little minion next to him, which is a prophet, the religious system. The Antichrist, the Bible says, in, and by the way, all of, these, uh, all of these signs are all prophesied in Revelations chapter 6 through the chapter 19, all the seals, all the bowls, all the wrath of God that is poured out on the earth, everything is lined up exactly the way that Matthew talks about it. But during that time, when the Antichrist is revealed, the man of lawlessness, the Bible says, in the midst of that agreement that he makes with, the, with Israel at the beginning of the tribulation period, he's going to break that agreement in, right in the middle of it. And he's going to erect a statue to himself. And he's going to order people to worship him. 
You know what, guys? The devil has always been interested in one thing from the very beginning of times. Right from Isaiah 14. What is it? Worship me. He's always been interested in that. I can't get into much more than this, but let me just say this, that you might say, what's the difference between the signs that you talked about last week and the signs of this week? One simple difference. The signs that we talked about last week up to verse 8 of Matthew 24 were signs that were initiated by men. The signs from verse 9 and on were in, are going to be initiated by God. Read it, Revelation 6 through to 19. That's your assignment. <laughs> They're going to be initiated by God, and that's the difference between the two. Jesus then gave a final warning, and he said in verse 36, first of all, the day and the hour, you don't know anything about it. And don't get caught. It's immaterial. It's foolish to focus on dates and times. It has become for so many a, that, that, that have gotten into that conversation a, a, a tripping point. They get tripped up. You know what, guys? We will not live forever. So you know what? You can dig a bunker and fill it with food, and that's great. If you believe in doing that, go for it. You go for it. But you know what? I'm just going to go with the flow, and, and I'm going to go with the word. Um, then he said in, in verse 42, he said, be vigilant. Be vigilant. That's going to be one of the keys of the last days. Jesus used the illustration of the thief coming at night. Stealing in your house. You know what? If you're aware that the thief is coming, you're going to meet him with a 12-gauge. Right? I would. I'm a gun-believing pastor. Yeah, I am. I do. Yep. Uh, but you know what? Um, we need to be aware. We need to be vigilant. Because... We don't know when he is coming, and we need to be alert. And then finally, in verse 44, it says that we need to be ready. Be ready. You know, I, I don't know why I was thinking of this song, but when I was preparing, it was a, a song in 1965 that was sung by the Impressions. Anybody know what I'm talking about, be ready? People get ready. There's a train that's coming. Come on, sing it with me. No need to. You know what I'm talking about. Now, of course, that song was not written <laughs> to encourage Bible-believing Christians. It was written during a difficult time in the history of America, right? I think we know it, 1965. But there is an important point there, is that we've got to get ready. Because he's going to come when we least expect it. And your responsibility, my responsibility... Is to say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Maranatha. Let me close with this. In verses 34 and 35 of this chapter, they're not up there. But Jesus said that heaven and earth is going to pass away. But my words will stand. My words will stand. You know... 
Everything that Jesus prophesied came to pass. Everything. And I mean everything. Before his death in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed just like he prophesied. He prophesied his death and resurrection. They all happened. Everything that is in this book, I trust 100% implicitly. This is still today the most popular, highest sold book on the planet. Why? Because there's truth in this book. There's truth for you and me today. And then finally, Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verses 46 and 47. Let me read it to you and we'll conclude with this. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. He was actually talking about being faithful servants in the house of God. I tell you the truth that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. You know, sometimes we look at all the great things that we want to do for God and great things that God has called us to. But you know what? The fact of the matter is that we have got to take care of his business. And that's what it was about. Jesus was saying, there's some kingdom business that we need to take care of. And it's your responsibility and mine. We are to be about the Father's business. Second Timothy 4 verses 1 and 2 says this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And then finally, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 13, he said this. Occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. I don't know what to do for Jesus. I don't know. God has not yet spoken to me. I'm still trying to find out what God's great purposes and plans for me are. Occupy till I come. I don't know what to do. Go preach the gospel. Occupy till I come. But I don't know. I'm still praying. Occupy till I come. I don't know what to believe the end times. What is my view of eschatology? What should I do? What, what does this all mean? Occupy till I come. I don't care if you don't understand a single word that I have said up until this point. Because Jesus said, occupy till I come. Get busy serving God. Serve. Do whatever you have to do. Whether it's in this house or outside, do something for Jesus. Occupy until He comes. Get busy taking care of God's business. That is what our call is. Hey, thank you for watching the Sermon of the Week. We pray that you were blessed by it and you felt prompted to act upon what the Spirit of God was saying to you. If you live in the Charlotte area, we would love for you to come and worship with us at one of our weekend gatherings. That way you can find out more about our church family and what we value most. We encourage you also to give to our ministry so that we might continue spreading the gospel of Jesus to our city and throughout the world. To do so, you simply go to missioncommunity.cc, click on the Give button, and the rest is simple. Lastly, I would encourage you to check out the remaining content on our YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe. That way you will receive all of the reminders for fresh content that we put out. 
have a wonderful rest of your day. May God bless you and thank you again for watching this week's message.